Gascoigne going to have a crack? He is, you know. Oh, I say! Welcome back to another edition of the Internet's Most Dangerous Tottenham Hotspur Podcast. It's Wheeler Dealer Radio. We're back from our summer vacation, and for some reason, we are ready to jump into another season of Tottenham Hotspur. But first, before we get into that, I want to remind our listeners to follow us on Twitter at WDR Podcast. That's WDR as in Wheeler Dealer Radio. And leave us a five-star review on iTunes or Spotify, because like I always say, something good should happen to some Spurs fans somewhere. Now that that's out of the way, let's get to it. I am joined, as always, by at least one of of my faithful co-host coming to us from the powdered hills of south florida he's pushing it to the limit it's brian ashlock brian what did you do on your summer vacation uh partied with daniel levy and his family while we were conveniently ignoring emails from my work and from bayern munich so it was a great time just just out there on the on the shoreline just you know hanging out at all the good delis in boca raton um, you know, played a little golf. It was, uh, it was a good time. My other faithful co-host, Ben Daniels, is currently without powder and uh, presumably trying to scavenge uh, in the wilderness of Atlanta to survive. Uh, so pitching, pinch hitting for him is our good friend, Joel Wertheimer. Joel, what did you do on your summer vacation? Oh, what didn't I do on my summer vacation? <laughs> Not that there really was much of one, but uh, I played some poker. I went to trial. I uh, survived 98-degree heat in New York City. Uh, and uh, now I actually get to go on vacation next week on my summer vacation. With with a baby who is surely going to cooperate. Right, yeah. You're just parenting elsewhere at this point. <laughs> You're not it's, on it's, vacation. It's a trip. It's a trip, not yes. a vacation. <laughs> That's right. So I uh, thought this would be an interesting way to start as we we really haven't done a podcast since very early in the summer. And I feel like Spurs fans are very schizophrenic about this right now. So I'd like to start with this. Uh, Brian, how are you feeling about the club right now? We're going to win the fucking league, man. Mate. I like to hear. Uh, No, I, you know, um, I'm excited. Like it, it is, it is nice to watch a little bit of preseason and see the team playing football in a way that you're like, Oh, I won't hate myself by mid November, you know? So, uh, it's look, it's obviously a work in progress. There's a lot of kinks on the defensive side that need to get worked out, but just the things we're seeing from, you know, the midfield, the fullbacks, you know, I, I think this is going to be a good year. And also, you know, we have a new dad, which is making this even more enjoyable. And I, I know we've talked about this before, but like just having a guy who is now the spokesperson spokesperson for your team and doesn't also despise your team at the same time is just so like uplifting. Like, I don't even care what he says anymore, just so long as he's not like complaining about the situation. He's just, you know, he's like. Yeah, well, you know, this is where we're at, and we're going to make some signings, and I'm not going to talk about Bayern Munich, mate, and, you know, whatever. And I love it. I love every second of it. Joel, how are you you feeling about the team? 
I'm just excited to have things to root for that aren't the actual result. Right with Conte and Jose, it was always like, if you don't win, then what the hell is the point? This is like, oh, Saar is playing and he looks good and he's young and he could be our, you know, star midfielder of the future or Udoji or whomever, Madison. Like, I'm look, I, the vibes for me are good because I am excited to watch this team and see it form into something and form the spine of the future. And if we make Europa League, and make some cup runs, then that's a good season as long as like the young players are developing and I get to see progress from the team. So I'm just excited to to wake up on a weekend and if the result isn't what I wanted it to be, but the play is interesting and good, that that's fun. That's like, oh man, just not to have have the weight of an Antonio Conte press conference waiting on the other end of the, the match is just so nice. Well, I mean, just to wake up and to not be like, oh, we're doing this again. God damn it. Like, you know what? That game is kicking off at 730 local time. I'll it's recording. I'll just keep sleeping and watch it to just be able to go. I'm excited. Like, I'm going to make myself a drink and we're going to watch this game at 730 in the morning. It's so great. I'm so excited. I'm just, yeah, I am excited to have fun this season and to hopefully see progress and, and go from there. And also, we're going to win the league, so that'll be also, great. Also, we're going to win the league. You yeah. you know what? Hey. Why not? Why not us? Yeah. I I have, at times in the past, the little Spurs fans who might have said, you know, like, oh, I just want a manager who's going to go for it. And you know, just try to play some entertaining football. But I, I think however many years of Antonio Conte and Jose Mourinho have broken me of looking down at that, you know, opinion. Now, I think there's something to be said for this isn't Ian Holloway with Blackpool, just like, fuck it, we're just going to try to score goals and not really care about anything else. I think there's something much more coherent here. But like you guys have both said, I'm, I'm excited to have something to root for, like you said, Joel, that isn't just results. I... I'm excited that we seem to be trying to embrace a play style that is going to want to make you get up in the morning. I'm excited that we have a manager that you want to root for, that you just like and want to see succeed. I just like that we're kind of moving on from this, frankly, kind of grim zero-sum game we've had the last few years. Like, God, we got to win something with Harry Kane, or we got to win something with this, you know, Hugo Lloris or whoever. And it seems like, you know, whether or not Kane stays, which, you know, we'll get to that in a minute, but it seems like we are just like moving on where that drive of winning anything is just not the sort of primary motivator of Spurs anymore. Obviously, we want to win stuff. Obviously, we want to win games, but results are not the be all and end all. And, you know, I think it was someone on the Twitter, and I cannot remember who said this, like, preseason games don't tell you how your team's going to finish this year, but they're going to tell you how your team wants to play. And, you know, we're recording this before the friendly against Barca, but in the two friendly or three friendlies, I guess we've been able to watch this year. I think it's been incredibly encouraging in terms of like, this is the kind of football Spurs are going to be attempted to do this year. And that is not, I mean, aside from that six months under Conte, like there hasn't been a lot of exciting football to watch at Spurs. So I'm just thrilled we're trying something. And the fact that we've got new dad here to sort of take us into the new, you know, a new brave bluey future is very exciting. 
I mean, look, if, if we are not like in 24, 25 and 25, 26, like trying to win something, then I'll have a different feeling. But like, this is a transitional year. We are just trying to find out what pieces are part of the next like great Spurs team. And we have some questions. Like we just don't know. I think Sar could be great, but we got to see it. And Basuma and whomever. And so I think this is like a a real, it's a fun, it's like when you're doing loan watch, when players are out on loan, and you, but you're getting to do it for Spurs. And so I'm excited for that. Like just like find out who the great pieces are, shed the ones that aren't there and and go forward into the next peak. Yeah. And I think the thing for me is, you know, when you, when Conte came in, we were all excited because, okay, he was a departure from Jose, but like he was also this serial winner and he had this system that you like, you looked at his inter sides or, and his Chelsea side, you're like, okay, they can score goals, they can attack, whatever. And then we did that for six months and then never again afterwards. But this this year feels like, okay, this is a full on commitment to attacking interesting football. This isn't football that's just about automated patterns of play where the fullback does X and the midfielder does this. And then the winger goes like, this is much more sort of possession structured possession in that, you know, there we're trying to make to, to have the ball in a certain way and to move it a certain way. But like these players are actually having freedom now to do things. And we're, and we're seeing, you know, guys like SAR guys like Madison, um, you know, who are, who are doing different things um, than what we've seen from our midfielders in the past. And it's just so, so nice to watch. And, and I think for me, there's actually going to be coaching for some of these young guys as opposed to, no, you must learn the way specifically that I play and only my patterns work. And, like, I understand that Ange is, like, we have to commit to a philosophy and it's my philosophy and whatever. But, like, his philosophy is we attack, not, like, when the ball is two yards outside of our penalty area, we do that. Like, it's it's different. And I'm excited to see how some of the younger and newer players start to develop in this style. It was uh, watching the the friendly the other day, and just watching the players show for the ball in the attacking area, and just making themselves available and then moving after that was amazing. I mean, it just like to to really see, you know, uh, uh, possession based soccer at was was really weird. I mean, I just I gotten so used to watching something else from these players, and then. Kulusevsky making a pass and then cutting and and switching position. It was it was really fun. When's the last time we watched this team play one twos with each other? Like I I can't remember the last time we've watched anyone on this team do that with each other. And it was so it was like another universe. But by the same token, it's like what we were seeing midfield progression. Like there was progression of the ball from our midfield with. And, you know, one big and important signing there. But for the most part, the guys that we've had for a couple seasons. And it's like we com- we spent all the last couple of years being like, there's just not enough progression in this midfield. I know we we you know, we said it on this podcast so many times. And then, oh, look, Basuma can do ball progression. Saar can do ball progression. Even Hoybier can do ball progression. If you just like go. All right. Yeah. Dribble the ball forward every once in a while. Pass the ball forward. Like it, it is. 
it is wild how much of a difference it makes just even a couple months of, of work. I think one thing is interesting. I mean, we talked about how exciting the season is, and I think sort of the sicko side of that, which I'm finding really interesting, is I don't think I've had less of a handle on where I expect a Spurs team to finish since, oh, man, like Pochettino's first year. Like, I mean, obviously we exceeded expectations in his second year, but like I have, I mean, you could tell me this team sneaks into a Champions League place, or you could tell me this team isn't in Europe next year, and I like could see both of those scenarios. And I think going back to what Joel was saying earlier, what's exciting about that is like, we can maybe, I mean, I think I'd be pretty disappointed if we didn't finish in a European spot, but the fact that where we finish in the table might and probably will be less important than how do we look going into next summer is, is really different for this team. Like we're finally building something where it's not just about what do we do this season? Now I think, you know, I'd be lying if I said I'm looking at this season without European football and how fun we've been in the preseason. And I'm kind of dreaming about, well, maybe we can make some cup runs, um, you know, in addition to our league winning campaign. But, you know, it's 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 a really kind of open book in a way that it just hasn't been for years. Yeah, I, I think, you know, it, it does give Ange like a little bit of leeway in terms of you know he has more time to work with the squad he has more time to implement the system um in the just because he doesn't have european football um it maybe means less minutes for some that available to go around for some young players but i also feel like like you said greg if we commit to you know making strong cup runs then then maybe there's there's more yeah i think i think this season is basically kind of a free hit if we're just even reasonably good like i i i think there's you you'd have to be almost disastrously bad for us to hit the reset button right now and and i think that the the way this whole summer has gone from you know the pasta coglu the way we got to him and hired him and then you know kind of the the cane situation is still hanging over one uh, over the team is we are to a certain extent acknowledging that we are coming to the end of the cycle. And while we're not like hitting the hard reset button, like I'm sure Joel would like us to do, we are, we are at least acknowledging that there is a, a next phase beyond this and starting to make steps toward that. I don't want to hit a hard reset, but I will say if tomorrow, if we play a reasonably strong Barcelona side and like actually play well, I'm about to get irrationally very excited about this team. Like there's just, it's, it's kind of wild. You know, we played West Ham and, and um, I can't even remember Shakhtar who we played the other day and and Lions or whatever, like, you know, nobody good, not in, and Barcelona obviously have their uh, flaws right now, but there's a lot of talent on the, on the team. And if like if we look good and interesting and they're not just chopping up our press every three minutes, which is also entirely plausible, uh, then then then, yeah, my expectations are going to get wildly out of out of whack. There's only there is only one hard reset that I want us to, to hit. And, uh... What a transition on this <laughs> professional podcast. Uh, let's talk about Harry Kane. Uh, 
right now, uh, just for the sake of our listeners, it is Monday night in America. As of right now, Bayern are coming, crawling back to Spurs for another round after their deadline tactic hasn't worked. As of this moment, Harry Kane is a Tottenham player. Uh, I think from uh, it seems like everybody's got a wildly different point of view on this that I read on Twitter, and it seems to be a real Rorschach's test. But I, I think it looks like Kane's about to go. Um, you know, it seems like they're putting out a PR offensive to make sure Spurs fans don't hate him when he leaves. But um, Joel, you've been very outspoken about Kane on Twitter, so I'm going to give you the floor on this right now before we get to Brian and myself. Uh, yeah, I look. It's just time to go. He doesn't want to be here. I I don't like. That's the thing to me is if I could. I could, I would disagree with it, but I could understand being a romantic. I get it. I do like romance and sports. If Kane wanted to be here and wanted to play for Spurs for the rest of his career and try to win a trophy and be the, be a one club man, like, awesome, great, let's do it. But he doesn't. And if he did, he would have signed a contract two years ago when he was pushing for, to, to go to City and he would have signed one between now and then, but he just clearly wants to go and like, fair enough. I mean, I think it's kind of a boring choice, but like, go do it. But like, if he wants to leave, then we need to go get the money. And Daniel Levy, for all of his faults over the past few years, this is what he was born to do, which is to get the most money from a European mega club, uh, for Tottenham like this he's he's done it before and and I think he's doing it again I mean every single twist and turn of this has just still screamed Levy just wants more money he um keeps talking to them while rejecting the offers and they keep coming back so I'm I'm excited Kane wants to go. I hope we actually cash in. Although the the four goals the other day did make me think, you know, oh, uh, but not not enough. It's time, and we'll get I think to the exciting young strikers that I'm I, I'm really excited about. So it's time to go. Like let's just enjoy a season and not have him hanging over us the whole time. I have found myself. I think I have a lot a little more affection for Kane than you do, Joel. Um, from the conversations we've had about it. But, you know, I think there's something really special about a one club man. And if Kane wanted that, like you said, I would be, yeah, let's figure it out. Like, cause I think it's been discussed at various, by various people that, you know, Richarlson looks like more of a natural in Postacoglu's system. And I'm not entirely convinced that everybody is trying to make Harry Kane fit into the Postacoglu system right now. I think everyone's kind of assuming he's not going to be here this year. So they're not really putting their backs into making it work. So I think it could succeed, but like you said, he doesn't want to be here. And I definitely lost some affection for him, you know, a few years ago when he tried to force his way out because he doesn't want to be here. And, you know, if he changed his mind after that, I think I could find it in my heart to like find that romance again. But at the end of the day, we're talking about, you know, a guy who clearly cares more about England than Spurs, which is his right. He clearly wants to go win things, which is his right. But, you know, if he wants to go, like, to Germany to fuck off and think a plate is going to make his, like, doubters happy, then God bless, go. But, you know, if he doesn't want to be here, we need to get some money for it. I don't want to, like, I do not want to do this press conference bullshit all season after every game and have every game be a referendum on it. Like, if it's not going to, if he's not going to stay, it's time to get it over with. And, frankly, get an enormous pile of money for it. 
does doesn't it feel a little bit like the Kevin Durant decision going to the Warriors? Like he yes. he thought that it was gonna fulfill him and he was gonna get to play at this elite level and people were gonna say, Oh, now you're a winner, but they're not going to say that. And if he got if he won an FA Cup with Tottenham, yes, like it would be a totally different conversation. But you know, he does that's not what he wants. So yeah. get paid. I think the only thing uh, about this whole saga that that would have been nice was just kind of like a clearer message from Kane, um, you know. And, and so, like, I understand, you know, his desire to be professional and et cetera, et cetera. But like, you know, like Joel said, he doesn't want to be here, but he's also not made the situation he's not gone to the the jerk mattresses or whatever like he's he's showed up to training and he's goes out and plays and he scores goals he could have just been like nah sorry i'm not coming back like i want i'm want to go to Bayern. i know they offered money for me let me go and he just hasn't and that like gives like a small part of me hope that maybe, maybe he doesn't want to leave. Like maybe he does want to be here and maybe he'll sign a contract extension and maybe it will work out. Even though maybe I he accept loves new dad too. Yeah, exactly. Even though I accept a hundred percent logically, that's not the case, but like, I want to believe a little bit. Cause like four goals, I don't know in, in a friendly and I know Shakhtar and you know, whatever, but what if he just scored 60 goals? Like, because, I mean, look, the goals have to come from somewhere, right? And, like, you know, if he goes, where do they come from? And so we should just keep him, and he'll score all the goals, and it'll be fine. I'm going to express my, maybe the most emotionally unhealthy opinion I've had on this podcast, which I understand is saying something. It's a high bar. It is. I, like I said, I got a, I fell a little bit out of love with Kane with the City stuff. And I understand, like, Gerard tried to leave Liverpool. I understand how that all works. But, like... When he leaves Spurs for Bayern Munich or next summer for Manchester United, whatever, if he leaves us for another team in the immediate future, he's going to film some video with a bunch of crocodile tears about how much he loves Spurs. And I am going to fucking hate him for the rest of my life for doing something. That's going to feel so disingenuous because it's at the end of the day, you could be a web club, man. This isn't. You know, Spurs aren't Celta Vigo or whatever, you know, like they're a reasonably big club. You could choose to stay here. I am. Almost entirely confident Harry Kane will not make significantly more money at any club than he would at Tottenham Hotspur. We actually have the resources to pay him that. So, you know, look. Not to mention the schedule's another club. Yeah, if he wants to go play for another club, fine. I just don't want to hear this, like, I don't, I don't want to see some song and dance for, the like, the first time ever he talking about how much he loves us. And I, you know, if he breaks out to talk about England in the middle of it, I'll start laughing and that'll be fine. But, yeah. You know, I just, like, I don't know. Without that Delhi interview this summer, and I like watched some Delhi highlights, just like thinking about him, and I got really emotional, not just because of the content, but because I had such a strong emotional connection to Delhi on the pitch and off the pitch, and he shared his personality with us, and he cared, like he fucking cared, and he he got what it meant. You saw the grin on his face when he scored against Arsenal or against Chelsea. And I just never got that from Kane. And that's why, like, it, it just, that, that was actually what drove home for me, just how different my emotional connection was 
to, to Kane versus everybody else. Um, I certainly, and, and especially for a guy whose chant is one of our own, like, I feel like he's always been, there's always been more people on Spurs, whether it's Eric Lamella or Deli Al or, or Deli or, um, you know, even Eric Dyer, who just have been much, who ha- seem to have had a better connection with the fans than Harry. Um, and, you know, Harry's obviously been a super fun player to watch, but I totally understand what you're saying, Joel. I just, I just don't think he gets what it is to be a fan in the same way. I don't know. Like, he's just sort of an automaton. Like, and a, a a great one, and it's very cool, and he's been with the club the whole time, and and that is meaningful, and I think maybe it would mean more if I lived in and around the club, you know, and but <coughs> it's just it's just never been the same for me, and so well, I, I'm, and I think I'm it's there. really like there are the parallels with his idol Tom Brady, where it's just like you know Tom Brady is a football automaton, right? But like everybody, everybody around Tom has like these interesting stories to tell about, you know, oh, this this thing happened and Tom said this super funny thing and blah, 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 blah. And then we went back to working out. And that seems to be what most of the Kane stories are. And like, you know, like Deli tells, you know, that, you know, that Kane was one of the guys that was, you know, that that would call him out on stuff and that he was there for him and stuff like that. But like. We didn't see any sort of like emotional interview that Kane gave about it in the way that Eric Dyer did. And it's just like and it's just it's such a sterile personality that he has. And it's it. I love him. I think he's amazing. I think he cares so much about scoring against Arsenal and Chelsea. I think he cares about the club. But like at the same time, it's also like easy to look at him and go, you just you don't have the same like buy-in that some of these other guys do or whatever. Like, I don't, I don't want to diminish his legacy, but like, I, I but he's you guys are that. right. Like it like, feels I mean, a little for, cold with him. For, it, it is. And for better or for worse. And I really didn't mean to say it's like Kane on the podcast. Cause I do like him and I would like to have signed him to have signed an extension. And I think one of the reasons I have this reaction to him is I think I've talked about it on here before. I think being a one club man in any sport, you know, is really something special. And I was, you know, I grew up as an an Orioles fan in America, as an American baseball team, and Cal Ripken was a guy on the Orioles for my whole life. He never played for another team, and that's something really rare in American sports, and it was special. And, you know, that was like the sports star I grew up on. And the Kane would have a chance to do that, not just throw it away, but throw it away, you know, with, I don't even want to say with the greatest respect, but like for Bayern Munich, like, I mean, I know they're a big club. I know you've got a chance at winning the Champions League with them, but like, you know, still, it's it's just, I don't know. It's It, it, it kind of takes some of the luster off for me. And But if it's going to happen, let's go get a mountain of money for it. So let's talk about then what we're doing in yeah. attack otherwise. I, I think what's really interesting about this is, let's assume for the sake of argument, we're not pre-spending some of the cane money on, you know, Madison and all them, because I don't think that's exactly what was going on. But like we seem to be in terms of cane replacements, we're we're kind of fishing in Brighton's pond or you know teams of that ilk, which is an interesting change in approach. We just got this uh, striker Valise, I think is how you say it, from Argentina, and we're getting Gift Orban from Belgium. Um, apparently, um, these are the two deals Spurs really have in the works. I don't know if we're gonna you know go sniffing around for another player once we actually get that money. But that's this is a really different change you know, approach to using this money than we've typically had in the past when we've had a windfall or just gone out shopping. 
Uh, this is these are really guys for the future. I mean, I think in Belize's case, that he's, he's that that's like really in the future. I think that guy won't be ready for Spurs for years, if not if ever. Um, Orban, I think, is, would contribute much more quickly. But still, these are these are very young guys who aren't a sure thing by any stretch of the imagination. So, um, Brian. Yeah, I mean, I think we, you touched on it earlier. Is that you know we have Richarlison, we have Hung Min Sun, so the the idea that we need to go out and immediately spend you know 150 million on Victor Osman or on you know someone like that someone who is already a proven striker and is a better fit for the age profile we're looking on I just I just, I don't think the club feels like their hand is forced in that regard I think you know they're probably and and just probably happy to roll with Richarlison and Son and, you know, whatever project for the future they can bring in and then see where they're at. Um, you know, I, I, I and and I think that's probably the smartest thing. Like what's out there right now that that would make sense for the team other than other than paying, you know, a ton of money to Napoli for for Osimhen. Like that's it. That's the that's the big guy that's out there as far I to me, like I don't see anybody else that that makes this system works that that is even a reasonable get for us. So, yeah, I mean, just ride out Richarlison and Son, and maybe Orban is maybe Orban is the next th- big thing, and then we've already got it locked up. I mean, it it seems to me like you know, and this is maybe a bit of fanfic, but we have seen like the the stuff about us getting a data team. In, and there's a little bit to me wondering if if there was this acknowledgement of, you know, it's like after everybody saw the A's do money ball in, the, in baseball in the U.S. And then uh, the Red Sox said, what if we could be the $100 million player development machine? And Levy looks over at Brighton and sees Brighton doing Brighton and says, well, we have twice as much money as them or three times as much money as them. I don't know exactly what it is in terms of revenue and says, what if we do that? They keep signing all these guys that will go on and be to be worth three, four or five times as much. Why don't we just skip the middleman? And that's particularly true at striker. You just, once a striker has established themselves as great, you're never getting a bargain. You're never getting them at, at anything but 150% of value, right? Osimhen, or Osimhen is, is, uh, a good example of that you know I think there were rumors that Jose wanted him and it was Spurs and it was 40 million which maybe seemed like a lot at the time but you're just never getting them at oh they're worth 80 and they're got them for 60 like you just have to get them when they're young and so somebody like Oravalese you know it's it makes more sense to try to spend like five buy five of these guys for 20 million a piece and hope one of them turns into a hundred million dollar guy because you just can't go get the $100 million guy. That guy is going to be above Tottenham <laughs> at some point, like once they're that player. And so I'm I'm excited that we're looking at players like that uh, because to get that ceiling, to get the great striker that we might want, I think we do just need to sort of, uh, you know, have a portfolio approach. And I'm really excited about Orban. I mean, I don't, you know, Valise seems like he's just coming. Like, it it was basically here we go, and he's going to be at the Barcelona match or something like that. Like, that one is very close. Orban seems a little bit more 
maybe Kane dependent, maybe not. We're talking, but it's not there. But man, he looks really good. It's like the numbers look great. It's thirty million euros is the price we keep getting, or ish is the price we keep seeing keep seeing get quoted. I mean. I can't imagine. It doesn't seem like, at least financially, that should be Kane dependent. Maybe we just can't carry that many strikers if he sticks around. Yeah, I mean, look, if you could buy him for thirty and loan him somewhere else, and it, and Kane stays for whatever reason, and then he walks next year and he comes in and he was great this year, like that seems entirely plausible. But Orban's, I mean, his numbers obviously the the Jupiler League is is just a low level of competition. But his numbers are stupidly good there. I mean, I think it's over a goal and an assist and and in terms of expected goals, similar. Plus a great finisher. And the finishing sure looks real when you watch him. He hits the ball super pure. So on, hard. On the, so hard. So hard. so hard. And no matter how far off the ground it is, like that's the thing that keeps like the volleys just fly off his foot and purely. And obviously some of that is YouTube highlight stuff. But then in the conference league, his numbers were also very good. And obviously the level of the competition in the conference league isn't great, but, you know, he played against West Ham and put up decent numbers in the two matches against, against West Ham. So um, I think like numbers wise, and it sounds like that he is a, a a numbers league, you know, numbers team, uh, guy, um, but you know, almost a non-penalty goal and an XG per per ninety in the Conference League. That's, I mean, at twenty, like that's really, really good. And obviously, small sample size, but sure looks it. So I really, I'm going to be devastated and angry if we don't sign him. I, 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 I'm with you, Joel, that I really like this strategy. It's something I think we definitely should be messing around with. Are either of you concerned about our ability to develop these players? Because one thing that a team like, at least before this year, Brighton could offer these guys is like, yeah, we're going to stick you out there and we'll ride out maybe some, you know, some rough patches or some, you know, growing pains or whatever. And, you know, you could argue if you're Tottenham and you're trying to get into the Champions League or the Europa League or win a cup or whatever, you know, you've, you've got a higher level of on your roster, are you worried about giving these guys the minutes or letting them develop or grow into the team? Yeah. I mean, I think that's totally reasonable concern just, just based on history alone, just to be like, look, we don't really develop guys. We haven't had a track record of developing guys, but by the same token, if we're having faith in our new manager to implement his new style of play and to coach up some of the guys that we do have here, then I think you just have to assume he will do the same thing with these new signings. I think I think the problem right now is that there's just limited minutes. Like even even being in the conference league would give you more opportunities to play guys like Alfie Devine and you know Harvey White and you know guys that we actually already have in the system. Ashley Phillips who we signed. Like those guys would just be able to play more minutes if we had those extra matches. Um. But, you know, I think striker is one of those positions that it's pretty easy to work guys in as a substitute. Like, you know, you're not you're not always changing, you know, your central defenders, but like you're you're going to give a guy, you know, 15, 20, 30 minutes here and there just regardless. And then, you know, Richarlison and Son aren't exactly injury proof, you know, so, you know, th- there's going to be an amount of minutes there that that is reasonable for for his age and where he's at in his development curve. 
I mean, you have, I mean, look, yeah, the squad is incredibly bloated. So in that sense, like, I do have concern about getting these guys minutes. Um, obviously, some players will leave. But it, right, to, to Brian's point, right, there are 11 players on the pitch and basically three of them who you don't need to sub at, in any match, most likely. Like, you have your two center backs and you have your keeper and you're hopeful that, like, they're not coming off the pitch regularly uh, in every match. So then if you have a manager, Ainge, who seems to, like, actually use the fact that we have five subs, you can imagine five of those other eight players getting you know, subbed off with reasonable minutes, especially when we don't have a striker who demands to play 94 minutes every match, every, you know, every day. Um, and so, you know, I, yeah, I'm hopeful that, yes, Sonny, you're going 60. And, you know, you get, yeah, you get injured pretty frequently. Decky, you're going 60. I mean, we, you know, Lo Celso and, and Madison can go 60, 30, 30, 60. All of these guys can get, minutes if we you know actually use our subs and by all indications Ainge uses subs and I hope he doesn't forget that just to spite me so moving from guys who might be joining the team to guys who are on the team uh the vibes are surprisingly good I feel like everyone is deeply deeply excited about James Madison uh it is he's looked fucking great I mean God, we've been missing a guy like him for like five years. I mean, it, I don't know. Like every, everyone, just, Brian, talk about how good James Madison is. <laughs> uh, I was kind of down on his signing, and I was like, I'm not really impressed by him, and uh, I was wrong. Um, <laughs> so, so I'll, 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 I'll take the bullet on that one. No, I, he's been great. Um, I really didn't know how he would look playing as an eight as opposed to the sort of like 10 ish role that he was doing more at Leicester. Um, and I don't think he's being asked to do all that much midfieldy things right now, but like he's hardworking much more than I kind of realized. And um, you know, he's, he's reasonably defensive solid. He, he's good in the press. His passing has been so good. He's making late runs into the box. Like he's just, he's just doing everything um, that we just haven't really had out of any of our midfielders. And and he's very good at it. And so I, I'm, I'm really, really impressed. He's also, I mean, I was high on his signing. And so I was right. Uh, and uh I, I just, well, we'll see if I was right, but so far it looks good. Uh, he's saucier than I think I I really realized. Like, he's, the, there was that moment in the box against Shakhtar where he was, like, you know, pirouetting on the ball, and I was, like, really sort of blown away. And I sort of think, like, that's representative of what, to Greg's question about Madison, but the team, like, the vibe's feeling good. We feel broadly saucier. And Madison seems to really be bringing that. But also Ainge seems to encourage it. Like, that seems like, you know, cool dad. Like, he's like, yeah, you know, just like be yourself. Get out there and have fun. And like that, I, I don't know. It just like Kulisevsky looks like he's having more fun in and around the box and trying stuff. Like, they're all trying stuff. And I think like you're allowed to try stuff when the assumption is if you lose the ball, go win it back. And, like, if you go hard and try to win it back and you press correctly after you lose the ball, like, that it's fine to lose the ball. Like, they're not living in fear of losing the ball. Um, 
in the attack, which is kind of funny because they have much higher possession. I don't know. It just Madison looked great. I'm so excited to to have somebody be able to pass the ball. That pass to Kane was so good, where Kane just put the ball back the other way, and it just happened again and again. It's oh, it's great. I'm excited. Watching you guys were talking about Madison doing that pirouette in the box. I had this thought when I was watching the last friendly, which was. I can't remember the last time a Spurs player who wasn't like a fullback took a man on and like just tried to get by him or play a ball pass. It's just, I don't know. We're, we're trying so much more stuff. I forgot what it looked like. It's so, it's so much fun to watch. And Madison looks like he's really going to be at the heart of all that. And I mean, I'm very happy with that side. There is a bit, I think if, if there's any bit where I wonder what could be with Harry Kane under Ange, it's it's definitely watching him and Madison play together. And, you know, I think it's funny that, you know, when Spurs fans do their sort of regular dissections of where did Daniel Levy get it all wrong, the fact that we kind of failed to sign Madison twice never seems to come up. And you look at him like this and it's like, Man, that guy would have been really nice to have when like Christian Eriksen was checking out, like, or before that even. Um, but yeah, he looks. I mean, he looks like a real good signing, and you know, just across the team, it looks like we are finding ways to cope um, with a, a new system and b maybe Harry Kane is not going to be here, which I think will be a difficult thing to cope with. But uh, the other aspect of that in the attack in a functional midfield is Lacelso staying, which is not something I had on my bingo card. I thought Ndombele was more likely to hang around than that. Um, I guess he just decided new dad is enough to put up with London's cold weather. I, I mean, Joel, you're a longtime Lacelso apologist. How how are you feeling about uh, this turn in fortunes? Uh- I mean, I'm very excited. I also thought it was uh, like he just wants to go and not be in London and, and nobody wants Tangi. And so we'll hope and pray on that. But I mean, Celso has shown much more for, for Tottenham and for, for Villarreal than I think than Tangi has for, for anybody else. And I'm really excited, especially because uh, Ange sort of seems to want eights who get into the box at the trail you know at the trail of plays with cutbacks and and to be there at sort of the top of the box and my memory of 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 Lo Celso at the tees was always in that position you know coming in at the end and, and hitting that ball and hitting it pretty purely and so for those for those moves and just to have another passer and another I mean he's a great presser when he's on the pitch he wins the ball a lot and so I think he really can play that sort of eight forward, you know, move, moving eight uh, in a way that that is really, really exciting to me. I, I don't know if he and Madison, if if they think he can be on the pitch at the same time, but I hope so. I mean, yeah, Losasa was great last year when he played uh, for, for Villarreal. He was great two years ago when he played and they went to the Champions League semifinal. Uh, I think he can just be really, really good if he's healthy. I think the only thing has been health, but maybe we just get him to see him play 30 minutes every match and he stays healthy and he's a great impact sub. I don't know. I'm, I'm very excited. Oh, Brian, you're muted. We're in mid-season, mid-season four. Yep, I'm getting back to it, guys. Um, on that same old bullshit. Um, anyway, what was I going to say? Uh, I, think, I think Joel's right. Like, Lo Celso staying like, seemed like 
the most unreasonable thing for our midfield, just because there was a market for him. Aston Villa wanted him. He, there were there were clubs in Spain that could have used him. Even still, there's still rumors about Barcelona might want him. Like he's he, he's someone we could have gotten actual money for, and I just don't think we're getting actual money for Ndombele, for example. Like, but he also just is the best fit for this system, and and he's shown it in these preseason games, and so. Um, if he if he's bought in, then I'm happy for him to stay. And uh, and like like Joel said, whether we see him for 30 minutes a game, whether we see him, you know, starting, whether he's with Madison or whether he's the option off the bench, um, it just makes the team like the depth stronger, the and, the and the squad as a whole just better. Yeah, I was Joel said it earlier, but I, it, it's where I was with Lacelso. Like I, mean, I was disappointed with his performance at Spurs, but. I thought a lot of the reason I'd, I'd kind of chalked him off was, you know, there's just too much water under the bridge. He doesn't like it in London. They fought with him over all those Argentina call-ups around the pandemic. He'd feuded with too many managers. He was a saleable asset. I, I thought there were too many reasons for him to go. And, you know, I joked about it, but I think it probably speaks really well of Postacoglu that he has turned around too. Because I think if Lo Celso was in here being like, get me the fuck out of here, I think they would probably be trying to sell him a little bit more. But instead, he seems to want to stick around, and I think he neatly solves a lot of our problems. Um, I'm not sure if he's ever going to be as good as I hoped he was when we bought him from Batiste, but, you know, I mean, as another passer, I think he can play deep. I think he can play up top. I think he just, like, he's got decent defensive work rate when he's healthy. It's, he just, you know, we we were going to have to go out and get a passer, and now we really don't need to do that. Um, you know, it, it frees up who we can get rid of on the team. I, I think he's definitely more reliable than Ndombele in terms of fitness and in terms of play. I, it's really exciting. I mean, and and again, like, I just to bang this home a little bit, I think it speaks to how the vibes are on the team right now. I think everybody's really starting to buy in to what Postacoglu's selling. Do you think he thought, like, wait, I don't have to do any more fucking patterns. Like, that yes. is just like, yes. I think like he just hated the patterns. He was like, why? Let me play freely. And and Andrew's like, yeah, no, that's, I agree. That is how soccer is supposed to be played. And he was like, okay, I'm in. Like, no no more fucking patterns. Like, that's, that's the deal. And he was probably like, you know, hey, can my sister come to training every once in a while? And Andrew's <laughs> like, yeah, totally fine. <laughs> totally fine. She seems great. She looks just like you. I mean, it's it, if I told you before the summer started, like, oh, Spurs are going to sign some like fifteen-year-old Argentine striker, and Lacelso is going to help recruit him. Like, you would have thought I was out of my mind. It's it's I mean, it's a, it's been a real turnaround with Lacelso. Yeah, we didn't talk about Feliz. I, I don't. Is, I mean, his numbers. So I will say. Uh, his numbers are actually, when you adjust for the league, are pretty good because, like, it is a really low-scoring league, and he just bangs in goals. Like, Rosario scored 0.89 goals per match or something like that, and he was at 0.5 goals per match, uh, and 0.89 was actually like reasonably high in the league. So. But what I but he seems he sure seems like a target man like it's a lot yeah. of headers like and maybe he's young and there's something to dream on and and stuff like that but it's definitely like yeah he's uh, was it you who said he he seems like a 
English target man who just happened to be born yes. in, in Argentina. Yeah. I, I mean, that is also plausible given what we know about that island's immigration or that island, that country's immigration. Yes. But um, yeah, no, it's very, he's, he's a weird guy because it doesn't look like he gets involved in the buildup play much. It looks like he's just there to fucking whack the ball in the end of the net and then and whack the ball in the net at the end of moves. And, you know, there's use there. That's not like something that, has no value, but it's, it's, it seems like a strange pickup for Spurs. Now I don't mind if we're doing a little bit of player trading, you know, like Chelsea used to, but. And it sounds like he's going out on loan. He better in Europe. Like it sounds like, I don't know. Um, yeah, maybe, maybe somewhere on the continent, maybe Spain, that might be a good place for him. (laughs) Uh, like, you know, come over, go to Greg, name a Spanish club. Uh, Albaria, there we go. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, learn learn to pass a little bit. I don't know. I, I I like the idea of like, you know, I mean, this is kind of like why NBA teams want guys in their G League or they want to draft them immediately out of college. Like, no, we want to handle your training. We don't want to let those guys do it. Um, yeah. But I, I like that we're buying lottery tickets. I'm a little, you know, admittedly, most of my, you know, I've watched a few highlights and I saw what Tim Vickery said when he was interviewed, which was what we've kind of talked about, how he's a target man. He's not really built up in the buildup very much. And that concerns me, but you know, maybe we're just trying to make a profit on the guy in three years. I, don't I, know. I just like that. We're trusting the data team. Like this seems like a total, like we have data scouts. They're like, Oh, that's a pretty good, you know, those are really good numbers in the right age age profile. Uh, and we'll figure it out later. Like you just say that buy more guys like that. You yeah. say that, but it's really Paratici on a phone in like some back alley calling an agent up in Argentina. Hey, <laughs> if the data team tells him who to call, then uh, I'm fine with it. Uh, the other, I guess, first team addition that we've made, because I'm uh, Ashley Phillips seems like another long term. I don't He might be hanging around the first team, but he seems like one for the future um, is Manor Solomon. Um, Joel, do you have any strong Manor Solomon thoughts? Um, he dribbled good. I, I, you know, but like, he's very short. Hey, that is a pro in my book. Uh, okay. So yeah, sorry. Wrong audience. Short King Solomon. Um, you know, but this is, this is like my long, it's like almost a bit at this point, but you can't teach dribbling. Like just that level of dribbling skill doesn't get taught at this level. Like you either have it or you don't, I think. And when he played for Fulham, he was like really far from the box. They you look at his like heat maps and he's like way out wide and more central. And like, he he's really good at dribbling and maybe it's just, and I don't know when we've seen him in preseason, it's like he receives the ball close to the box on the wing and he squares up his man and he tries to dribble it in the box and hit a pass or take a shot. And, you know, maybe that's what he is supposed to do. And, um, like, uh, it seems like a, a free shot and, and those, and like, just bait, you know, betting on that, on that stuff. Like he has stuff and you're just hoping that it turns into to goals at some point. Uh, and he's maybe running at tired legs. Like he's coming on in the 70th and you can beat a man at that when they're tired. I, I don't know. Like, I'm not like excited by it, but I think like I was a little more up on the signing just because he dribbled good. And I think the thing that 
our 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 squad just in general lacks is is that kind of good dribbler, especially in an attacking position, you know. And it's just like you're looking at this team and and the way that Ange has played in other places and like the wingers that we have, the wide attackers just don't really profile in the same way that you know some of it in, into doing the sort of wingery things that he has wanted from those wide players and. Solomon is like the guy on the team that does the winger stuff. And so, you know, I, I, I'm like Joel, I, I have like zero expectations of him, like, you know, being some breakout star for this team. But like, if he comes on and, you know, at the end of games and runs at people and does some exciting stuff and has a couple of assists, then, you know, great. He was free or he costs 6.5 million, like whatever we end up deciding to do with Shakhtar, he's, probably i mean we could probably literally flip him next year for double that so you know i i think he's he's fine he's i'm I'm not going to pretend i watched a whole lot of fulham last year but he's already done more passing and shit in the box than i was led to believe he did at fulham like i mean we've seen every time he's played he's doing cutbacks he's trying to hit men inside the penalty area which you know is not sort of how his play, at least what I was reading up on him, was described. Uh, I will say he cannot be worse than Lucas Moura was for us last year. And in that alone, he is saving us money and probably better. So, like like you said, it's 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 a free shot. Like, maybe it turns into something, maybe it's not. We're not out all that much money if it's not. I don't think Manor Solomon is blocking a better player or preventing us from getting a better player. Um but yeah, speaking of dribbly guys, I forgot there was another addition because it just happened today. Uh, Vanderven, we bought a new center back, a left-footed, left-sided center back. Uh, there seems to be a lot of back and forth on this guy because on the one hand, he seems like he's immensely physically talented. On the other hand, he's only spent one season in the top five leagues in Europe, so he's pretty raw. Uh, Brian, how are you feeling now that we have a new speedy center back? I mean, I don't think it's technically official, but I mean, he was at the friendly, so it's basically official, right? Um, but yeah, like, uh, I I like it because having watched some of the, these first few friendlies, like, what's killing us is the balls in behind. And we just don't have a, a non-Davinson center back that is quick. And like, watching Ben Davis trying to get, you know, back from the halfway line is is not my idea of fun. And, and Van de Ven seems to be quick. And he's also a very big dude. Um, so, you know, uh, that'll help defending. And, you know, I, I, I have no idea if he's actually good. I will, I will not pretend to have watched any Wolfsburg last year. So I couldn't tell you. But everyone says he's fast. He is big. Um Maybe it'll be fine. He is, as far as I'm aware, the only like transfer target or signing that is being carried over from Celtic. Apparently, Anne's tried to sign him at Celtic a year or so ago. So I think that's in. I don't know. So I think it says anything, but I do think it's interesting that you know he's the only one. I don't know. We're going young again. It's like fine. Like this is the year. You need a guy who's gonna needs to grow a little bit. Have some, you know. Have some time to adjust to the England. This is the year to do it, not next year. 
he he's good on the ball. Like speaking of like he he dribbles like like Brian said like he really like his numbers on the ball. When you watch him, he's like very willing to to dribble past his man. Like there is, I feel a little bit like that. Um, boss baby tweet where it's like only has only seen boss baby like wow this really has boss baby vibes tweet where like he reminds me a little bit of Jan like just watching him like his willingness to beat the man like he looks a little awkward but he's really athletic um his passing is good but again like looks a little funny but it's like very good at it it's not like silky but it's really effective and like you know it seems like yeah Ainge wanted a guy who, when the press gets broken and there's a long ball or a through ball, like can recover in those moments and get back. And a little bit like, I mean, I have no reason to think he's this good, but like VVD, like like Van Dyke, like, you know, that recovery pace when you're a pressing team and you're high up the pitch all the time. It's just like, you just want a guy who's super fast, like, we're not going to be defending deep. I don't know how good he is in those situations, but hopefully we're not doing it as much. And and it, that's what he's good at. So I yeah, I have no idea. I'm not a defensive scout, but on the ball he looks he looks fun and he sure looks fast. Well, and I mean, you know, uh, Ange seems to have indicated in his press conferences over the weekend that there are additional center back or defensive signings that are that are going to be happening and so i think when you look at it through that lens um and you think like maybe the possibility is that tapsoba is potentially still something that's happening or uh then then this deal seems fine again it's just a way it's getting us younger it's adding the sort of like athleticism to the team that it feels like it's lost over the last few years like just adding in Udogi, Van de Ven, um, and, you know, Madison and allowing Saar to play a little bit more like that's adding like speed and strength and athleticism in ways that we just weren't using before. And, and, and just talked about it, like so much of modern football is played in space and you need guys that just cover space and, that's what Van de Ven seems to be. He's a guy that if you he has to turn and run, he's going to cover that space. So as we wrap up our preseason look, I, I mean, how are you feeling about, I, I guess there's two factors I want to talk about here. How are you feeling about our approach to the transfer market? Because we don't have a director of football. We had a new manager. It all seemed very dubious when the summer started. I'm feeling largely good. I don't think, you know, I feel like the real, like, guys who might not pan out were pretty low-risk signings. Like, I feel like we made a lot of interesting or good signings, or we're about to in some cases. Joel, let's start with you. How how are you feeling about our transfer business? I mean, I, I think we basically have a director of football, and it's like, it's Mun and uh some guys with spreadsheets and like that feels great to me like (laughs) like, to be honest i'm like uh, and i think like the the names of players that we're going after except for the like porto striker or whatever which was a very random uh uh rumor like we just keep getting linked with guys and i go on their fb ref page and i'm like wow that's pretty good like you know it's 
I, it, there's none of these like players other than like Solomon a bit, but like where I'm like, I don't get what we see in them. Like I'm just not getting that every time I go to look and, and read about them. It's always like, oh, that's a young player that looks really interesting. And maybe there are some question marks, but that's why they're available and things like that. Like, and at the positions that we seem to need and the age profile is good almost uniformly. I mean, the amount of talent on the team now that is 25 and under is like really strong, like goalkeeper, left back, right back, uh, in, in SAR in central midfield, you know, we just like, it's actually, um, right, the right center back, left center back. Like it's just like everywhere we actually have, like, when you pop up in in a few years, you might have a bunch of peak age, really, really good players. And so, you know, that's the thing that I'm excited. It does seem like we are targeting the right age. We have the right idea that our future isn't now, like our future is our future and that we are aiming to be good, really good in a couple of years and, and go from, from there. So I'm excited that we seem to have both an alignment of like the players we're after and an idea of, of what the club is, which is a project. And the project is supposed to peak not this year, but in the future. Yeah, I, I agree broadly with Joel. I think, you know, I, I, I had a couple of frustrations with the window and that's one is, you know, the largely quiet July. Like, you know, we did a ton of business before June 30th, which was, you know, atypical for, for Spurs. Um, and then just kind of nothing happened. Like when, when we, when we podcasted, uh, you know, after the signing of Vicario, um, we, we'd been talking about Tapsoba and Van de Ven at that point. And then just like nothing happened. And, and I don't know if that's just a product of, you know, that's what the market was doing, or we were waiting to figure out what Kane was doing or, or whatever the case may be. But like, it was just a little weird that, you know, if like Van de Ven was someone that we were prioritizing and why it just didn't get over the line until six I, days before the season starts, you know? I think the Van de Ven thing, I mean... Like, you would like to get him in here earlier. It seems to me as if we were letting Wolfsburg buy his replacement. Yeah, and I mean, that was the thing that kind of, like, kicked it over the line. But also, like, okay, I guess. I, I, I don't know. And, and you know, my other frustration is we just haven't done a lot of business in the other direction. We We still have a crazy huge squad, and we now have, you know, a month left to offload all these guys. I mean, we've got... I think did uh, Postacoglu say the squad was like 39 players or something like that at this point, like 35 or something. It's like some stupid huge number. You know, we've got to get rid of Larice Davinson, you know, uh, at, at least one fullback from each side of the pitch. You know, there's probably a midfielder that can go that, you know, we've got the cane thing. Like there's, there's still a lot of turnover to happen in the next month. So, accounting for the fact that Harry Kane might be leaving and we might be selling off a bunch of guys, if you had to call it right now, where do you think Spurs finish, roughly, Brian? Um, 
so we did the cartilage free captain uh, predictions. Uh, I-, I filled mine out earlier today, and I'm sure they'll be on the blog sometime this week. I, I picked Spurs to finish second just because I was insanely high on my vibes. I don't think that's real, but I also wanted to mess with the curve. So, um, but no, I-, I really do think that like fifth or sixth is not unreasonable. Um, and you know, if, if Kane stays or if one of the strikers gets hot, then top four isn't like insane. Um, it's just going to take, you know, some actual really good results. And it's going to I think it's going to depend really how these first couple months go, because if we are actually hit the ground running as opposed to having to work out the kinks through August and September, then um, then we'll be in a really good position. Yeah, I. I think it is pretty obviously City, and then I think Liverpool and Arsenal are meaningfully better than Spurs right now. I think as between United and Newcastle and Chelsea and Brighton, I feel much less confident that they're that much better than Spurs, if at all. And so I think in that they're in that four to seven range, and who knows what that becomes. Yeah, I think Spurs finish, like, to some extent is going to be, I mean, to a large extent, it's going to be dictated in our play, but I think exactly where we finish is really going to depend on <laughs> Newcastle, Arsenal, Liverpool. I think these are teams that are going to have very high variance years. Um, and I think with Europe, for some of these teams, I think not having to play COVID struggle ball for the first time in a few years without, without a World Cup in the middle, you know, I I just think that's going to have such a huge effect on, you know, how this season goes for Spurs. Um, but I don't know. I, I tend to think we're going to have a lot of luck against bad teams at the beginning of the year, and we're going to have a lot of bad luck against, like, I think we're going to struggle to figure out how to play against, like, a city, you know, some of the really well-put-together teams who can maybe pick our us apart as we're learning, you know, how to defend and all that. I don't know. I think it's going to be a really strange season, but I think we're going to play a lot of fun football, and I'm really looking forward to that. Yeah, I mean, I agree. I think exactly what you said about the good team, bad team disparity. And, you know, the fun thing about this season is um, we play Manchester United, you know, in the second game of the season. So we'll get to we'll get to find out if teams can hit us on the break pretty quickly. Um and then we have like Arsenal and Liverpool at the end of September. So um, I don't know. I just there's so many more reasons for optimism right now than I felt like we've had. I think I think coming into last season we were all pretty high and we were thinking you know title challenge based on you know what we'd done over the six, first six months of the Conte thing. But like we were also looking at the transfer window and we we're like, well, did we really improve that much? And Da, 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 da. And the vibes are just different this year. And even though I think our expectations on what the team performance is overall uh, in terms of points, I just think we're all just more excited about everything else around the team right now. I think, and again, I'm probably high on our own supply right now, but sure. I think what's was really struck me is how anybody who's sort of had a contact high with Spurs this both like people inside the club, reporters, anyone who's been around the club, all seem incredibly impressed with Pasta Coglu. 
And obviously we need to play the games and see how it goes. But the fact that like, we've got a manager whose biggest job was Celtic before this and everybody like no one, it's been really forgotten how we almost hired Arn slot. And, you know, it's been, you know, like I, there, there's a very realistic argument. Like you passed on Luis Enrique to hire the manager of Celtic, whose biggest job before that was the Australian national team. Like, you know, like, None of these conversations are coming up, even from like the dumbest peanut members of the peanut gallery. And I don't know. I think that. Yeah. Matt I, Law hasn't said shit. Well, Matt Law has even like said nice things about Pasta Coglu. It's like, again, like I, I they have to actually play the football. We'll see how competitive games go. But I think considering this is a hire that I feel like could have been a very easy target for a certain type of reporter or pundit or whatever. You know, I, I think it says a lot about how things are going right now. I, I'm impressed with, you know, the reaction he's getting. And I, it seems to tell me something. I could be entirely wrong. I thought AVB was going to be a really successful coach. So what the fuck do I know? But I think I'm really just annoyed that we start the season with Brentford, which is like, a team that is very much capable of sitting back, playing on the counterattack and punishing good teams. And, and also a team that has played in a defined style for years under the same manager and is also like kind of smart with their transfer business. Like it's just kind of like we're playing a settled team while we're in the most flux possible. Like you couldn't give us, you know, like Crystal Palace or, you know, one of the promoted teams or Nottingham Forest or something like, no, we had to go against like Brentford who have their shit together and uh, they're probably going to beat us in some really weird way or whatever over the weekend. And like, we'll have a bunch of think pieces next week about whether Spurs need to do X, Y, or Z or Pasta Coglu needs to change or whatever. And, you know, that's not going to be fun, but I think all the stuff, later in the season will be. Yeah, we're going to see how it goes. Honestly, I'm very excited to see how Spurs play this weekend. And like you said at the very top of the show, Brian, like how long has it been since we felt like that? It's Yeah, exactly. It's been a minute. So um, I'm excited. I hope it goes well. You know. Um, yeah, I don't know. Like, I don't know. Maybe, maybe Brentford's just going to really struggle with that, Tony. I mean, maybe it's just going to be very mediocre shit, and then we rock their asses for like 90 minutes. It's, and then Harry Kane will win the German Super Cup or whatever this weekend. And yeah, he's going to go, right what's, the, what's the prize for that? A fork? Like a yeah. like dinner <laughs> cup? Like, I don't know. Oh, God. I didn't know you had such strong opinions about trophies. Well, it's it looks pretty stupid. Like, let's all be real. Like, you know, you win something and you hold up a plate. So we're about to wrap it up. Uh, Brian, where can people find you on the internet? We're gonna we're gonna save the rest of our uh, silverware talk for our Patreon after dark show that doesn't exist. Yeah, well, <laughs> um, soon, Brian, soon, can... maybe. We never know. <laughs> well, no, we know. Uh, Brian, yeah, we where do. Can people find you on the internet. You can find me on Twitter at Brian underscore Ashlock. That is Brian with a Y. Joel, where can people find you um, dumping your opinions online? Uh, they can find me anywhere uh, at Wordwhile. That's uh. W E R T W H I L E. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you can find this podcast at WDR Podcast. That's WDR as in Wheel Deal Radio. And you can find me at Skipjack 0079. 
For Brian, for Joel, for Ben, and of course for Brett Rainbow, I have been your host, Greg. Come on, you Spurs.